Welcome back to the Origin Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Pablo Aslan, and this week with writer and music critic Fernando Gonzalez, we have a kitchen table conversation with pianist, composer, and band leader Arturo O'Farrell and trumpeter Adam O'Farrell, who happens to be his youngest son. We talk about family, the long shadow of Arturo's father, the great arranger and composer Chico O'Farrell. So I grew up really literally kind of thinking that my father played salsa and that uh, that was kind of just nightclub music. And I was a jazz musician and I was going to play free jazz and real jazz and straight ahead jazz. And what it was like in the O'Farrell musical household, having not just a father, a grandfather and a brother who were into the music, but also a mother. It was kind of interesting that you have two people who play the same instrument and you see two people who play them completely differently and for different purposes, you know. We talk about coming of age as a Latino and the art of playing in a duet. Pull up a chair and join us for this conversation with Arturo and Adam O'Farrell. Arturo, one of the one of the things that um, I, I've been interested to, if you can discuss a little bit, is I remember you and I talking about the fact that um, early on you didn't play Latin music. In fact, you were keeping your distance from the, uh, from the whole thing. And I wonder how was that process, and especially how it was afterwards, once you started to to work into the um, whole Latin music um, culture, so to speak, in terms of what you what you discover. Because in a way, you were an insider that were that were outside coming back in. So I wonder that perspective. How um, how was it? How was for you that whole rediscovery? Well, I mean, I think that there were two factors involved in my uh, kind of not wanting to be involved with Latin music. The first one was that on some level, we were plopped into the middle of Upper West Side, middle class, uh, frankly, white kids. And so there was no one like us. And uh, the only people like me were the super and the uh, janitor at the school. And so there was kind of, and I don't know if it's intentional or if it's a, it's a byproduct, but something about being not the dominant culture makes you a little self-deprecating, not a little bit, not, it's just you kind of begin to notice, especially when you're a kid, you begin to notice how different you are from everyone else, and you begin to hate that. And so to some degree, it creates, you know, it creates this kind of, uh, uh, hatred of yourself and your people and your culture um then of course the other thing is that really healthy beautiful reject everything your parents teach you i think that's really important every human being has to go through the process of rejecting absolutely rejecting everything they're told by anybody but especially by their parents so that they can then reappropriate what they think is valid from what they've uh, been taught so those things combined with the fact that, you know, I went to um, arts high school and met a lot of musicians that had no experience playing jazz. So I grew up really literally kind of thinking that my father played salsa and that uh, that was kind of just nightclub music. And I was a jazz musician and I was going to play free jazz and real jazz and straight ahead jazz. And I was just going to be, you know, embraced by the jazz world and and given uh, the keys to the kingdom. And it didn't quite work out that way. 
As a matter of fact, I was a very good pianist. I had a very, very lucky, lucky moment in that uh, the NEA Jazz Master, American composing, brilliant woman, composition genius, Carla Blay, hired me at the age of 19. So I was thrust literally from playing in bars for nobody to being on stage at Carnegie Hall um, in a world that I loved because I loved free jazz. I loved concept jazz. I loved uh, strange, weird kind of combinations of the jazz uh, vernacular. And Carla was all that and more. And I, you know, I'm so grateful for that. And that's kind of how I made my way into a career through Carla through association with Carla, through gigs that happened to fall my way through my association with Carla. So I really had no need to uh, be a part of Latin jazz or Afro-Cuban jazz. Um, and then I started working with my father in the jingle business, and he had a lot of authenticity, authenticity in his approach to making jingles. So all of a sudden I had to be clave conversant. I had to know uh, what these people did. And I remember doing a jingle with uh, Sal Cuevas, one of my first jingles for Bumblebee Tuna and Sal Cuevas, who's one of the, you know, one of the creators of, of uh, salsa bass and Latin bass. He looked at me and said, man, you crossing the clave. And, and what, I, you know, that meant nothing to me. And I said, well, 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 what do I do? What do I do? He goes, go listen to Papa Luca. So the first thing I did was start listening to Papa Luca. But I still didn't kind of get all into it until I met Andy Gonzalez. And I did a record with Andy. And Andy said to me, I'm a big fan of yours. And I thought to myself, what? Big fan of mine. I'm like, who am I? And he said, no, no, I've, I've watched your career since you first started playing with Carla. And then he said the thing that revolutionized my life. He said, but you need to discover your roots. You need to accept who you are, embrace it. And it was mind-blowing because it, then it's not enough for a guy like Andy Gonzalez to give advice. He gives advice and he does more. Well, he did more, rest his soul. He invited me to his house regularly and played me the history of this music, the history of this music, because specifically the history of uh, Latin piano playing and the greats, Lena Frias, uh, Perugin, uh, Charlie, Eddie. I mean, he literally educated me in everything from how to play a Montuno to, I mean, just everything. And so um, Andy, in many ways, was my introduction to the world of Latin. He introduced me to Jerry. I started playing with Ford Apache. He introduced me to Papo Vasquez. I started playing with the Pirates and Troubadours. And, and through kind of through his guidance and his tutelage and his blessing, I began to really realize how incredibly difficult it is to play Latin music authentically. Hmm. How it's more of a, uh, you have to be acculturated to the sound. You can't just play the notes. You have to understand. It's more than knowing about clave. It's also understanding Afro-folk roots understanding how Afro-folkloric music is, 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 is structured and created. And he did that. He took me not only on the voyage of Latin and jazz, but he also took me on the Afro-folkloric. One of the most brilliant things Andy did for me was introduce me to Ellis Regina. <laughs> he was talking about phrasing, and he was talking about the eloquence of the melody. And I mean, you know, Andy, Andy is one of the greats, one of the truly greatest of the greats. And so luckily... You know, I embraced that education 
and realized how hard this music is and 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 and, and hunkered down and studied it and, and and learned a lot about it there's no way i'll ever be as knowledgeable as some of our spokespeople but i love this music and really respect my people for creating it and bringing it forth into the world Adam, I wonder how it was for you because you grew up listening to all this kind of stuff around you in New York and, and, and all that. How were your influences and what kind of conversations and around that about the Latin music and the Latin culture and all that were going on at home? It was definitely, you know, definitely more, more experiential. I wouldn't say like I sat through the most formal instruction Mm -hmm. on, on things it was more just kind of being you know sort of exposed to a lot uh between yeah latin music but also just like being around big bands in general and kind of seeing seeing the way they operate you know the way um groups of uh a lot of different personalities the way that operates and also uh you know just kind of being showed the music that i was that i was shown um you know don't you know kind of in car rides and all that you know and then kind of you know beyond beyond the gigs you know beyond going to the gigs and going to rehearsals you know like having listened to a lot of different music uh in the household and and or otherwise and um so you know i i, I would definitely say it was it was kind of it was never nothing was ever sort of uh you know, like, like, I, I don't know, it was never very formal, you know, which, which I, sure. you know, I think it's kind of, it's made me probably as a result, less, less formalized, I guess, in the way I approach, um, music, but I also think there's something to, uh, Latin music that, you know, is kind of built, there's a lot of tradition to it, but it's also a lot of those traditions feel like they're kind of, coming out of, uh, you know, combining different ideas and different influences. And, and mm -hmm. but it's already, I think, yeah, there are, there are rhythms, you know, that are a core to what it is, but I also think within that sort of uh, formalism, there's a lot of uh, freedom, you know, and in it, yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of interpretation and, and, uh, and all that. He's actually being kind. We used to have clave drills in the car. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, not every now and then. You, you would put on even yeah. even my wife Allison. The, she had to put up with it. But she, it, it we yeah. we I I was a terrorist. I'd scream out, "What clave is this?" But that's I, I, much, I much I much prefer that than uh you know coming home and and having an hour long instruction. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's much more. It keeps the stakes higher. There's, know? there's a, there's a Sonora Panseña piece. Uh, it's, it's uh, Ramona, and in the intro, in the first, uh, in the first twenty-four measures, the clave switches three times, and it's, it was always fun for me to watch my kids. I would say, "Can you keep clave through this?" Probably took us years to get it. Right? It took. It's yeah. really. It's some really high yeah. def. But I, yeah, sophistication. I think, I think that's definitely beyond playing, um, you know, different types of Latin music. I think that's kind of done more for me just in terms of my overall sense of rhythm, even playing, uh, you know, playing some like mixed meter, uh, contemporary classical style music. Like it's helped just as much with that 
and just as much playing, you know, straight ahead jazz. It's helped. It's helped just as much with that stuff as it has with, with you know, playing, you know, different types of Latin music. Just because it's more kind of, uh, you know, I think when you kind of get to the core of something, you find that the messages within it are much uh, broader and and deeper and, and more multi-layered. In a way, it's funny because uh, Zach and Adam, both um, Zach is, is is started a rumba group, and he's much more he's much more developed as uh, in in his choices in terms of Latin music. Um, they both come from the same like they both come from the same. You understand? Both these kids grew up watching Papo Pepin play and Joe Gonzalez. Mm. Kids grew up around Mario Rivera. These kids. They grew up watching these masters, uh, you know, Mario Rivera, Ray Vega. Uh, uh, these were the people that they grew up with. So any way you slice it, that's that sophistic, that rhythmic sophistication that Adam is talking about is was part of what they observed in other people. So there wasn't this need to, like I had to, uh, uh, formally educate them about what this music, how it's made, and how 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 we uh, how we listen to it. The one thing that I was thinking was that um, we had seven, that Adam's generation is naturally bilingual. They grew up with all this stuff around it. Well, a bunch of other musicians, and you know, in a way, had to learn from one side or the other. And I find that interesting. Is is organic? I, you know, what he was describing it sounded to me like something very organic. Was there anything in particular that that you remember when you got more and more involved into the Latin music that caught your, your attention, that, that it surprised you, that, uh, that still today you say, that day I, reala I, I realized X. I, I would say a turning point in my life was when uh, the Muñequitos de Matanzas came to play uh, at Prospect Park at an early celebration oh, wow. concert. And... Um, I just remember being literally, sh I literally was shaken to my core. I had never heard rumba and I'd never heard uh, that kind of rumba group. And the, the, the thing I guess that shook me, besides the beauty of the movement and the dancing, uh, and the, and the, the stuff, was also that all of a sudden I understood that, you know, rhythmic code is different in African-based music than it is in European-based music. In European-based music, we're taught to count in pulses and feel the shape as constructed in the pulse of aggregation. African music is really different. African music is more about phrase and length and uh, contrapuntal structure. Very, very different. And so for me, the 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 Listening to a, a, an incredible uh, uh, rumba group, a wawanko group, uh, whatever, a religious group, listening to that music always reminds me of a 747 taking off. It just It's filled with percussion, it's filled with activity, and yet it always glides. It always feels like it's moving in slow motion, like some beautiful giant creature. And, and, and that... That shook me to the core because you know I, I grew up listening, loving and 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 and, and marveling at 
Ed Swing and Tony Williams or, and Herbie Hancock. And, and, and a lot of that music is very, very, very... Swing is a more of an elastic thing to me. Swing is more of a thing that, that, that bends and shapes and oozes and oozes. The African music that I heard that day in, in Prospect Park was like a big soaring uh, eagle. It just moved with such grandeur and grace. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is something that I don't understand. This is bigger than anything I've ever experienced before. And it made me really curious to understand how these rhythms worked. And, you know, eventually I went to Cuba and, and learned the different uh, uh, cross rhythms. But in, in that moment, it, it, I, was, I literally was weeping. I remember I was weeping. Pablo here. It's interesting from hearing you guys that Arturo, you you said you rebelled and you felt your father was playing salsa, so you weren't really witnessing at your home necessarily the the artistic work that he had done. For you, it was more the experience of my father as a, a professional musician, whereas your environment, Adam, especially also because you had your brother, um, you were very integrated into your father's music. It was not anything that you wanted to rebel. You you understood from the beginning that that was that you were in the same, and also you're from a generation that is used to, uh, um, you know, the, the the complexities and and you know really absorbed um, Afro-Cuban music. It, you would never confuse this music with salsa. No, there's a, a generational change between having a father like Chico and having a father like Arturo. I guess. What do you think? I I, I gotta say I I, I don't. I don't think I even had the sophistication to differentiate between salsa and Afro-Cuban music. I just knew that my father had some really strange friends. I was, I would, I, I grew up exposed to Mario Balsa. And the only thing I knew about Mario Balsa was that he smoked a cigar and gesticulated wildly. <laughs> so when I was six years old, the only, other, the only thing I could think about was that he would poke me in the eye with his cigar when he got excited. Um... <laughs> You know, I didn't understand who Machido was or Graciela. I didn't understand who these people were. And then later on, I could kick myself, of course. I got to play with Machito and Graciela and Mario Barca. And, and But later on, I could kick myself because I didn't, I didn't understand at the time that my natural rebelliousness was denying me access to some of these people who created and whose shoulders my entire life is built upon. But Adam had a very different experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when my dad was at Lincoln Center and, you know, kind of seeing one concert, you know, you'd have the band be playing a lot of old school, more old old school stuff like Ballet Hispanico, and then you'd have one concert that had uh, Greg Osby and, and Joe Lovano, and then you'd have another concert uh, that was all tango. And, uh, you know, growing up around um, my mom, who... Uh, you know, would play the Gershwin Preludes on piano and then going in the car ride for these two and, and you know, being shown everything from Steely Dan to to uh, Beatles to Messian, you know, and kind of um, being, you know, sort of 
encouraged both directly and then also of course you know like the experience of you know working like playing playing kind of playing jamming in the basement you know and like kind of learning how to play this music you know and, and all that um you know it's always been kind of a encouragement there's always been encouragement that that uh that that the thing is very uh you know that it's a very uh, democratic art form. You know, music. I'm, I'm not even jazz; just music in general. Like it's a very, you know, there's kind of really no one way to go about it, and just kind of having having the upbringing that I had, and kind of you know seeing the different things that I was seeing. You know, kind of always helped me believe that. I, I, w- I wanted to go back um, to talk to Adam about the, the difference in the O'Farrell uh, households because you mentioned Allison, you mentioned your mother, Allison Dean, who's a fantastic pianist. So so you had a, a, a full-blown household of inspiration in, in, in mm-hmm. arts. Um, so what, what? tell us about that, about, you know, about your, your musician mother. It was a very different side of, I think it was just a very different side of it, you know, like, uh, it was kind of interesting that you have two people who play the same instrument and you see two people who play them completely differently and for different purposes, you know, and, uh, different contexts. And, you know, I think, I think that right there is like, it's a really, it's really good to kind of be, you know, shown that at an early age, you know that like you know that 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 simply put the piano is sort of the unifying thread you know between between many different styles and kind of you know growing up and seeing that i'd like to think that yeah my parents were musicians and i grew up in a musical household but still a family is a family you know it's it's uh you know i definitely had experiences that other people didn't have but i also think i probably had experiences that many other people have had right Um, but but you know that's not to that's not meant to downplay at all the experiences that i did have that might be unique and and uh i think it was good to sort of be around you know my mom coming from a more classical background it was good to have this side that like my dad growing up my dad you know we we play in the basement and, and 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 i was learning how to play jazz through that, but my mom was coming from a perspective that was kind of a little bit more sort of about kind of a different a different set of nuts and bolts than, than you know, kind of experience of learning improvisation, more about sort of keeping me on sort of my technical toes, you know, and, and noticing when I had, you know, bad posture when I was practicing and, and all that, you know, and so it's good to have both of those things. Again, I think I think Adam's being very kind, I, I, and I and I have we have the therapist bills to prove it. Um, I mean, our our household was so unbelievably nerdy that what we thought was fun was sitting around the breakfast table and uh, picking pitches. Well, we didn't do it every day. We didn't do it every day. Okay. We, did it every now uh, we did it every now and then, but we'd each pick a pitch and we'd sing chords and try to identify them. 
That's horrible. That's a horrible thing to inflict the child with. (laughs) (laughs) And then don't forget that uh, Allison is, is one of the greatest musicians I know. I mean, she has that 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 gift of being natural in musician. So in a way, watching her is 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 you know was one of the greatest thrills I know. And she had that same essence that uh, Los Muñequitos had. That when she played, it was effortless, and it was the same. That 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 those kinds of things you don't forget. And I'm sure that uh, both Zach and Adam were terrorized and delighted by those rapid fire scales that that she <laughs> she did. She'd go upstairs and she'd play these scales at fifteen times the speed that I can play, and with forty times the accuracy. And it just flowed out of her, and I think that's such a great thing for Adam and Zach. And my father didn't play; he was a writer. So Zach and Adam had the privilege of seeing both sides of a very different equation. One quick question, just to bring the other aspect of this, the social aspect, because I think for both of you guys, that is an important element in the whole aspect of making music. And I wonder how was that for you? Uh, how how that consciousness about, you know, not only with Latin music, but what was happening with Latin culture uh, and uh, the Latino communities uh, that probably you were coming in contact as you were getting more and more involved in Latin music. How was that process? Well, again, um, I don't think Adam and Zach had this problem, and I can let him speak to that in a minute, but I you know, I, I was, uh, I was uh, not happy being Latino. Um, in my little world, we weren't accepted. It was a little Upper West Side uh, 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 school that I went to, I didn't know any Latinos. I, I said Jesus, the, the janitor, and Frankie, the janitor in my building. And so, and, you know, and all the kids I was surrounded with were, were kind of better off than I was. And so there was just, I am so fiercely proud to be Mexican today. But it, it's a journey. I don't think Adam and Zach ever did that. And as, as a matter of fact, I remember before I really exposed them to any great measure of playing, I insisted that we go to Cuba. I took Zach and Adam to Cuba not to play, not to do anything, but just to experience uh, the country. And I think both of them had a very different experience with that trip. But it was important for me that they understood that that, that being whatever you call it, Hispanic, Latino, is, is, is really powerful and compelling and changes the way that you view life in the United States. I think I learned a lot when I went to high school and I went to, I went to LaGuardia High School, um, whatever premier, premier art school in, in New York, or is considered that, you know, people are coming from everywhere. You know, I was coming from Park Slope, but friends were coming from Staten Island, uh, like Bronx, uh, Woodside, Queens, like, a, you know, like really, like you know, a few blocks away on your west side. Like there are people coming from everywhere, um, and people coming from every sort of artistic background as well. And uh, it was really, um, I kind of credit a lot of sort of just my artistic, uh, I guess if you want to say socio-artistic beliefs, to sort of being in the the 
the sort of the the stew that that high school was, you know, and and that experience was for me, and kind of being being surrounded by and mixing in with people coming from everywhere and doing everything, and and um, and you know, kind of in that moment, nobody was really focused on um, who was. Uh, who was what color or who was who was coming from where you know or what background like it was really it was really a community whose sole uh purpose was to create good art and it was about probably the most utopian uh i think i'll ever experience <laughs> you know and i'm glad it was high school because i think it's good to kind of experience well i'm, I'm I, I consider myself very lucky to have experienced that at a younger age, just to kind of uh, at least give me give me a blueprint for how how um, an artist can cultivate their their surroundings and their group and their you know who they work with and and kind of really you know be given the opportunity you know not to say it's not important to work with and connect with people who come from a similar background to you but i think it's just i think it's just rare maybe it is more my generation than anything that you know you are given the opportunity to uh connect in a deep way with people coming from disparate backgrounds yeah i was lucky to go to the pre uh which is the progenitor? Premier. Premier. I was lucky to go to the school before it was LaGuardia. It was called uh, Music and Art. And the High School of Music and Art became LaGuardia uh, School of the Performing Arts. And uh, it was the same thing. All the kind of self-loathing that I felt going to an Upper West Side uh, school kind of vanished in the presence of this incredible... And it is it's a truly incredible experience that... Uh, Zach, Adam, and Allison, and I all went through is to go to arts high school in New York City, where uh, you begin to understand how much bigger the world is than black or white, Hispanic or not, gay, straight. I mean, you go to music and art, and then it changes your life forever. My son went to the same school, um, and he had the added advantage that his dad, me, told him at the beginning of school to go enroll in this program at Fat Cat that uh, my, my friend the O'Farrells ran. And so he got also a, an incredible education going weekly to play with you guys, and particularly Zach was one of his mentors, and of course Jim Seeley uh, directed him. And, and what an incredible opportunity you created for kids that age. Can you tell us some about the, the Afro Latin jazz? Uh, Af what, what was Afro Latin jazz cats? <laughs> At Afro Latin jazz cats. Right. We've been we've been fighting with that. You know what we've been fighting. We uh, I began uh, that program many 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 years ago with Fat Cat, which is a club on Christopher Street in uh, New York City's Greenwich Village, and I decided that I wanted to uh, create a, a youth program. Uh, I had no clue what I was doing. I walked in there and asked uh, the uh, the uh, owner if I could do this. And he said, sure, why not? Here's a couple hours on Sunday. And so we began with like, I don't know, I think five or six kids. And um, 
and the program has grown exponentially. We began, I remember your son very well, and I mean, it's been beautiful to watch my friends, people I love, bring their kids to me. Bob Francisquini's son was in that group. Uh, Roy Nathanson's son has been in that group. And it's incredible to me that I get to teach your children, your brilliant children, and that 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 program has grown so much. And of course, with my crazy life and the kind of nutsiness that I uh, uh, that I the the, the fast pacedness that I keep, and I do so much traveling, the, eventually uh, Zach took it over, and Zach has become a hero, a mentor to these children. And uh, we travel to Cuba, we go on, on, they play all over the city, they play at the Frick Museum, at the Brooklyn Museum, at the uh, Metro Tech Festival. And so it's become, it's become a huge program. And, and for me, um, part of my deal was letting Zach and Adam kind of populated for a while I, I kind of removed myself from it and I allowed them to really uh, uh, be the shapers of it and I remember uh, at first but this was this is a tradition going back in the O'Farrells since the days of puppets Zach and Adam mm. ran the jam session at puppets famous jazz bar on 7th Avenue and 5th Avenue Fifth Avenue, right. Fifth Avenue. And I would say to them, they would like complain bitterly. I'd say, get out there. The club opens at 12. You got to be in place mm -hmm. and lead this jam session. And, and lo and behold, kids came from all over uh, and they had a little band. They had a little band at a jazz club at the age of 12 and at the age of 13 and 14 and 15. I said to my son, go there even if you play second guiro. Just go and play with these people. <laughs> <laughs> Anything helps. And it was, and and I th and I really believed that the experience of being a musician with your peers at a young age is the best, most wonderful thing that can happen to a human being. Yep. How is for you the guys playing together? Because, you know, I don't know what I would think about uh, having a, a, a gig with my dad as my boss playing next to me. Uh, how, how is it for you guys? I think it's, I mean, I think it's second nature. You know, I think it's really, again, kind of what I said about, you know, a family is a family. You know, I, I kind of, like, I, I think... Yeah, you're adding in this layer of this is a craft and we've worked hard to hone it and, and discover ourselves through it and we're bringing that to the table. But other than that, I think it's it's really just human interaction, you know? Yeah, and there's, and there's a kind of an ESP quality to it that you, you know, playing music, especially improvisational music, is, is um, a little bit like trusting that the people you're playing with have your back. And they're not going to hang you out, hang you out to dry. And I feel so secure playing with Zach and Adam. Uh, we can literally uh, stop time, start time, bend time, go into fifty-nine different keys at the same time. It's it, and the, their ears are so huge. Uh, uh, their ears and their their musicianship is so huge that um, you know I have to keep, have to stay on my toes to keep up with them. 
this talk is a companion to the music that you are making together now. And I witnessed that last week. We did a, a trial run, let's call it. And you guys played a couple of tunes. And it was very obvious that you've been playing together quite a bit. Uh, that all that is starting to really, it's almost like a marinade that, that has hit the spot. And what you guys are doing is nothing short of extraordinary. And I'm not just using words. I'm just trying to find a way to to describe the 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 you know the uniqueness and the special uh, connection that there's between the, the two of you. How good you are individually, Adam. Um, I feel um, that you've transcended that 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 technical um, um, background that you have that you were talking about that came from from your mother. You have I you, you can tell that you have an enormous amount of technique, but that's not what your playing is about. And that's been beautiful to, to, to see because uh, that's the stuff that takes a while to marinate. And I, I started hearing it in the Afro-Latin Jazz uh, Orchestra and some of your solos when we've worked together in Emilio Soja Orchestra that, that you're, you're poetic, you know, that you're, you're at that level. It's, it's, not, it's not about the instrument and all you can do. And, and New York is tough in that way because we all want to show off and, and the environment is kind of, there's a little macho thing about being able to do this or that. But, but then it, it, that's not what I'm hearing now. So um, a long way to say what you guys, what have you been up to um, playing? You are in L.A., both of you. Um, uh, I know, Adam, you were on the road before that and you've had this... Uh, forced uh, uh, coincidence of schedules and the time to develop the music. So can you tell us more about what's been going on musically between the two of you now? Thank you. I think, uh, I mean, we did a we did a concert a few weeks ago, and I brought in some, some tunes. Oh, I don't even know if I'd call them tunes. They're kind of, they're so bare, you know, there's, so, there's like not really much to them. And I mean, you know, there's there's a little bit, but it's 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 not, you know, they're not. I don't know. They're they're more fragments than anything. And uh, I, uh, you know, usually, usually, I guess if I'm on my own, you know, I like put in a lot of time to, you know, kind of uh, expand upon them, and, like write write more and write more material and flesh something out and and all that. Um, the nice thing about, you know, sort of living with somebody that you're playing with is that, you know, you can kind of work together and sort of further realizing something. Um, so it's cool to kind of bring in these things that I've sort of had, uh, had already written some of which, you know, a few months ago, some of which a few years ago, um, and bring them in and, and sort of have somebody help uh help me see another side of it or see it you know see see it for what it is really actually just kind of you know um it's nice because it's both it's both reflective and um progressive you know like you're kind of looking at something that you might not have looked at before and sort of now you're realizing it's it's a new it's a new being you know it's kind of an unhurried quality to our playing together. Um, there's a kind of, 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 you know, when you've had years of fart jokes with somebody <laughs> and you've seen help. them at their best and at their worst from both sides, um, uh, there's, there, there's a kind of a, 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 a process that uh, 
makes a playing field that both feel comfortable in. So no matter who you are, if you're playing a gig with someone and there's always, like you said, a construct, there's a, a, a social setting either with your band members or with the audience and it's just part of the thing that we do. But when you're playing with someone who you've literally raised or who literally has, and I feel that way about Adam, Adam's raised me. Mm. Zach and Adam have raised me. Mm. They've caused me to grow up to a certain point. And so they've raised me, we've raised each other, we've all grown together in this. What can you do when someone has seen you at your worst and at your best? You can take your time. You can slow time down and ponder and, 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 and play reflectively and play with great care. And I think that, that I don't feel that with anybody but my children to take, um, to really explore in a very ponderous and uh, sweet manner the music that you're playing with them. And, um, and, then I, and then on top of that, we're living together, obviously forced into this situation because, you know, we hadn't been playing together for a while. Adam had moved out and he'd grown up and I'd come to California and I was leaving my work here in New York. And, but we've had to really, and then even more, I have to say this, even more now, because we've uh, been recording three days a week. Uh, 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 we've been laying down tracks in Logic for our uh, Sunday uh, virtual Birdland series. And so we literally have to put down music. And it's really interesting because the process is unlike anything else you would imagine. We're playing music to just the drums or just the drums and bass. And maybe just the drums and the trumpet, lead trumpet. And so we're, we're laying down tracks that we're normally used to hearing with a full orchestra. And we're doing this three days a week. And it's, I think it's kind of, I know it's changing the way I approach. And I know that I'm hearing in Adam a distance and a separation from what we normally do on the bandstand to these very bare bones settings. And it's kind of what I feel happens with us when we play. It's bare bones. It's stripped down. It's ponderous. It's gentle. It's very careful, and 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 I love that. I really, I really love that part of of of, of playing in this setting at this time. That a lot of the constructs that we have as musicians, they shouldn't be. We should be able to play like family. We should be able to have that kind of naturalness. And I don't know. We don't get enough. Uh, opportunity to be vulnerable in front of each other and that's what happens when you're family you well, like I said and I think that 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 is that is the crux of what I think is that when you are when you are really allowed to be yourself in front of people magic magic happens and um, and that's I guess man that's the lesson I want to take with me um, the rest of my life Guys. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Arturo and Adam O'Farrell. 
Their duo concert is available on the Origen Collective's Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Origen Call. O-R-I-G-E-N-C-O-L-L. That's our Facebook page where we do a Thursday night concert series. We look forward to bringing you more kitchen table conversations with the members of the collective in more episodes of the Origin Podcast. Thanks to Fernando Gonzalez and the team at the Origin Collective. Please subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify podcasts. This is Pablo Aslan signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.